titled the message this morning, The Awe of Attraction. The Awe of Attraction. It's, it's Valentine's Day. I hope that's not new information for husbands and wives. And I hope that you've already greeted one another with a holy kiss. Husbands to wives. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I was thinking through the lesson that we were going to teach. And initially, I'd kind of gone through St. Valentine. I went and looked him up and everything that he, um, everything that he's historical, you know, all the information about him. And, and at the end of the day, I had it, kind of had it compiled. And I just pfft, tossed it off to the side. It wasn't all that. But it did leave me with <clears throat> a few facts that I want to leave you with this morning. And uh, some of it is anchored in some history of Jack Lehman. I, I'll take you back to the year. It was 1988. I had more hair then, darker hair then. It was uh, a year before I graduated. And I'd like you to, to take you to one of the, the basement classrooms of Kenneth Cases Valley High School. It was an afternoon class that I had with Mr. Dixon. It was chemistry. Now, Mr. Dixon, he was a piece of work. He was smart. He was brilliant, and he, uh, he lived on a different level than I lived. He lived in the chemistry world. You know, I didn't know much about myself then. I, you know, we're just trying to figure ourselves out. That's, that's what part of education is. You find out who you are. You find out what you know, what you like. If, if Knowing me like I know me now, I should have been out in the shop class. <laughs> I shouldn't have been in the chemistry wing. I, I should have been out, but the problem was is that there was no middle ground. If you were, if you were out in the industrial section of our high school, then, then at lunch, you spent the lunch hour in the smoking quarter. You know, you, we, uh, one teacher said, they're all a bunch of Tobies. I don't know what that meant. But he said, Tobyism. Tobyism is when you wear Kodiak work boots with the tongues hanging out and their laces are never tied up and you have a hoodie and you wear a ball hat and you walk around dragging your feet. He said, that's Tobyism. And it just seemed like there was no middle ground for me. So I picked the most moral spot and that was chemistry. But the problem was I didn't much like chemistry, but Mr. Dixon did. As a matter of fact, Mr. Dixon loved chemistry. Mr. Dixon lived to be the chemistry teacher. I told the early uh, session this morning, I said, you know, I don't know if he wore the same dress shirt, the same dress pants and dress shoes every day, but they certainly all looked alike every day. He was the stereotypical description of chemistry teacher right there in living flesh for all to see, Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon and I had a couple head-to-heads, probably because, not because it was all Jack Lehman's fault, I just say it right now. But I had found a few humorous points in the class, and there was one other fellow, his name was Wayno, for the sake of his anonymity, 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 for the sake of nobody knowing who he is, I won't give you his last name. But he had written in my yearbook, we had chemistry class together, and he had written in my yearbook about our illustrious chemistry teacher. And it was toward the end of the year when the exams were being prepared and we were prepping for that, that the chemistry or the yearbooks had come out and, and Wayne had written in my yearbook. And uh, to my dismay, Mr. Dixon was walking around the class reading everybody's yearbooks. And I thought, well, that's kind of a breach of privacy, isn't it? 
And, I, and he got closer, and I could see that he wasn't going through the yearbook for the content of the yearbook. He was going through people's yearbooks, and he was reading what people had written to each other in the face and in the back of the year. You know how people do that? Maybe you don't anymore. Maybe it's all on Facebook. I don't know. But anyhow, I knew. I knew that there was a comment in my yearbook from Wayne about our chemistry teacher. And he came closer, and he picked my yearbook up off my desk. Now, we hadn't had, it was, it was not a love-love relationship with Mr. Dixon and I. I remember him flipping the yearbook open, and I was, this is so out of character for me even then. I didn't like chemistry, but I was a kind kid. But I remember saying to him, I remember saying, if I had wanted you to go through my yearbook, I would have given it to you. I'm not recommending that any children do that. But Mr. Dixon went. <laughs> he slammed my yearbook on the corner of my desk, and I embarrassed him. And I embarrassed me in the process. And off he walked one way. Can I just tell you that I repeated chemistry the next year? <laughs> I repeated chemistry class the next year. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Had to repeat that class. I don't remember a lot of what he taught me. But I do remember this one thing. I think it ties into the lesson this morning. Sorry for the segue. The periodic table of the elements. They are the basic building blocks of everything around us. Matter. People. Our surroundings. The floor. The ceiling. The roof. The structure. Everything that we have on is made of atoms that connect together and it's interesting when you study the periodic table of the elements you'll find that there are some of those elements that are positive and there are some of those elements that are negative and it's the elements their structure their their sheer uh, base level structure that creates the opportunity for them to connect on an atomic level to create the matter around us the items that surround us, those, those things become what we know. But, but if you were to go back and you were to study, you'd find that some elements, they have that positive charge, and some elements have a negative charge. They, they, uh, they have the, the protons and the neutrons, and they surround themselves in that nucleus, and, and then that's encompassed by electrons, and electrons can create the negative charge. The protons create the positive charge, and depending on the atomic weight, and you know this is where I got lost to. I can see some of you have already glazed over and you think about ham in the oven right now. I already lost you when I said everything around us. But it's, it's at that atomic level that we see this attraction of positives and negatives. Can I, can I just say that our world is based on the atomic elements that need one another. Someone say need this morning that need one another, then the need has the ability to draw and to connect and to complete itself with something beyond itself. It's Valentine's Day, so let's talk about love for a minute. You ready? Someone's saying, what's love got to do with it? We'll talk about it for a minute. Let's talk about it. Sodium and chlorine. Sodium is a very reactive metal. Chlorine is a pale, yellow, noxious, poisonous, gas. Uh, if I were to say, give sodium and chlorine some, some personality, I'd say that sodium is drama, drama, drama. And then I'd say that chlorine is boring, 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 uh, but needful. 
Sodium is evil can evil. Some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about, and many of you aren't. I'll put it in your terminology. Sodium is X Games. High-flying, parachute-dropping, adrenaline-rushing, self-almost-destroying sodium. Sodium, we're, we, uh, <clears throat> yeah, anyhow, carry on, Jack. Chlorine is the fog, barely lifting off the couch, lost in the monotony of the noxious. It's book reading and thinking, pausing, meditating. Alone, alone, if you were to look at those two elements, they, they can't be with us alone. They are contaminated. They are poisonous. They are dangerous. Someone say dangerous. We're going somewhere. Hang with me here. The sodium is a very reactive metal. Given the opportunity, it will react with the sweat on your hand, the invisible sweat on your hand, can all of a sudden create and immediately create a corrosive substance. And that element, chlorine, it's, it's a gaseous matter, but if you will allow it to be in your presence, all of a sudden, inhalation can poison you, can damage your lungs, can create uh, challenges. It's just that chlorine and sodium on their own are impossibilities for us to have. We can't have them. We, we have to... We have to be careful with them. We have to have them in marked containers. We've got to set them on the shelf and, you know, have a little skull and crossbones there. You know what I'm talking about? Independently, they, they can't work for us. However, we all know that if we put them together, we have something that the human body absolutely needs. We have NaCl. We have salt. We have sodium chloride. And that, that salt isn't something that we push back. It's something we reach for when we get our McDonald's fries. It's 11.44, so I know I'm speaking your language. It's what we reach for to season our food. It's, it's not just something that we want. It's something that we need. Our body needs salt to regulate the, the, the flow of fluid in your body. The salt is necessary. Now, of course, we all know what it's like. We can have too much salt. We can have not enough salt. It's dangerous on both ends of the spectrum. But nevertheless, salt is something that we absolutely need in our system. But independently, they, they can't work with us. Independently, we can't have them. But, but all of a sudden, when we connect them, sodium is the positive ion and chlorine is the negative. And when you bring them together, all of a sudden, they connect and they become something useful and something powerful and something necessary. Some of you got home because somebody salted the roads with NACL. Some of you got dinner down because the rotten pot roast was all right with a good douse of salt. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I mean? That those two elements couldn't operate independently, but when you connected them, they worked. That brings me into Valentine's Day. So let me put it simply. Kathy is the chlorine in my salt shaker. I am the sodium in her rock salt. The periodic table of the elements is a simple picture of a greater promise. Sometimes we look at the word needy. Someone say need. And we like to use it in a negative context. He's needy, she's needy, they're needy. Sometimes that's how we explain people because we're all limited with our ability to supply. We all only have so much extra in the tank. You know what I'm talking about? So we safeguard what we've got in our emotional storage containers and we're careful about who we contact ourselves with because we know some people are going to draw from us and some people are going to pour into us you know what I mean oh, I'm just no I'm maybe that's just me I don't know 
We've all got only so much extra. However, I'm wondering this morning, if you had an unlimited supply, then how much help would you be to your neighbor? How much help would you be willing to give if you knew that your tank wasn't going to run out? Some people have bigger tanks than others. I'm just telling you. Some people have that ability. They are sympathetic with every single need. Kathy, Sister Woodward, Patricia, all of your pastor's wives have this deep need meeting ability. And sometimes they have to tell us, comfort the feeble-minded. I'm just being honest. Sometimes the tank gets low and you need to fill up. You need to connect with something or somebody that fills your tank back up. But, but I wonder this morning, just think with me, think with me, think with me. I wonder this morning if you had unlimited supply, how much more willing you'd be to reach out. Can I, can I remind us this morning that God's not empty? Can I remind somebody this morning that God's full? Can I remind somebody that God doesn't get weary with our inconsistencies and our inabilities and our lack? God doesn't get weary of that. That's why we're all in the room this morning because every one of us showed up knowing that God could meet us exactly where we are today. If you just knew God, you'd know that he'd search out the empty so that he could fill him. You knew that he'd search out the vacant just so that he could fill it back up. You know God, if you knew God, you'd know that he'd look for the one that was unoccupied, that was barren, that was broken because God says, ah, I'm just looking for the point of need. I'm looking for the connection and I can't meet somebody if they've got it all together I'm looking for someone that's negative I'm looking for someone that's that's lacking I'm looking for someone that's in impossibility right now I'm looking for somebody that needs healing that's how God shows up in the room regardless of how we came this morning regardless of how full we may feel regardless of how empty our week may have brought us to can I tell somebody today God came ready to fill you up God came ready to meet you where you are God came ready to heal God came ready to deliver God came ready to meet us the way that we were our negative ions don't repel God they attract him God is more than enough think with me Genesis 1 the earth was without form and void someone say empty but that's what, it, that's what drew God in. That's what brought him near. The Spirit of God looked for some place to move. And he said, you know what? Give me the formless. Give me the void. Give me the emptiness. Give me the nothing. Because nothing is where I can move. I can bring something out of nothing. Don't bring me your ability. Don't bring me your perfect sphere, your organized elements. Don't bring me all that. God said, I'm looking for somebody without anything. I'm looking for something that needs my hand to work. I'm looking for a negative that I can fill this morning the problem is sometimes we end up looking to each other for fulfillment we cover our emptiness because we fear it will repel people we know that our need pushes people back people have so much and we know it and we translate that mentality into our relationship with God but that's not the heart of the father today the heart of the father the Bible tells us it's your father's good pleasure. Someone say to give, to give you the kingdom. The tragedy in this is that too many of us are trying to earn the very thing that God wants to give us. We show up with our to-do list checked off. We come in the room and, and we've got everything all pulled in order and it's all, it's all organized and we present our perfect gift to God and God is not impressed. 
God looks past our perfection, our perceived perfection, and finds the one person that came in the room this morning. They came in the room beating their chest. They came in the room saying, God, I shouldn't even be here today, but here I am. One more time, I I just need a touch of your hand. I I just need a touch of your presence. I've been through this week, and, and I messed up. I failed. I've fallen, but I'm showing up one more time. God, would you fill the emptiness that's in my heart this morning? God, would you fill the emptiness that's in my life today? And God, look past the perfect and finds the one that says that's where I can work that's how I can move that's just one that's willing to see the point of their need this morning God was intrinsically instinctively attracted to need why here why this world why this mess of a planet why here it was the greatest point of need that's why Because he may have looked everywhere else and said the biggest mess is earth. The biggest mess is that planet right there. So I'm going to move right there. (laughs) God moves in miraculous ways where there is great need this morning. It was John 4 talks about a woman that was on her way to the well. But Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria The Bible says, I must needs, he must needs go through Samaria. There was all kinds of places that may have wanted his attention. There was all kinds of places that wanted the healer to come. There was all kinds of places that wanted a miracle to happen in their town. But Jesus got up this morning. He said, you know what? I I, I just know that the woman is going to be going to the well at noon. So we have got to go through Samaria because she doesn't have it all together. She has a lack in her life. She's been looking. Six men haven't been able to do it for her. Husbands haven't been able to answer the problem. Her history that she knew so well couldn't meet her had her point of need all the past religion that she experienced and was a part of couldn't meet her at her point of need but when she showed up at the well that day the master was there he had to he had a need to go through Samaria let me tell you what the need was the need was a woman that knew she didn't have it all together and that was the greatest need that he could see so that's why he showed up where he showed up can I tell you we've sensed the presence of God in this room because somebody came in today and said I've got great need but I know a great God this morning I've got a great need but I know that God can I've got a great need so I'm relying that God will be true to his promises today great need brings us a great God God's not looking for a full he's on the lookout for one that's empty we are so adverse sometimes to admitting our need for God We're talking about the awe of attraction. It's awesome to me that the very thing that repels people attracts God. I stand in awe that God, because we... (laughs) We get it so wrong. And God says, I'm just looking for one with need. We can come back to the music this morning. Hebrews 4 and 6 said, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when? In time of need. We come so often with great boldness when we have the train of success behind us. If you think about it, when do we have the most confidence? When we've had the most experience with success, that's when we are most confident. We come with the most confidence when we've got it, 
our T's crossed and our I's dotted. We come with the most confidence when we've prepared and planned and organized. We come with the most confidence when, when we've got it all together. But the Bible, the Bible tells us, let us therefore come boldly. I'm not negating the responsibility that we have to do our part. Everybody with me on that? I'm not saying don't plan, don't pray, don't do your part. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the Bible tells us that when we would come with the greatest degree of concern, when we would come with the greatest degree of stepping back and our tail between our legs and our head hung low, when we would come that way because we are in need, we don't have it all together, we've got lack in our life, our ionic charge is negative. When we would come to God that way, God says that's when you should come boldly. Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Does anybody need him this morning? I'm wondering this morning if anybody needs him. That's our phrase. We've got it well worn, but I, I think this morning sometimes we fail to see our need of God. Sometimes we all are as simple as 17-year-old Jack Lehman in Mr. Dixon's 11-2 chemistry class. We just can't figure it out. And God's saying, you don't have to figure it out. You just got to bring it all to me. Bring the mess to me. I'll figure it out. I wrote this down on the whiteboard yesterday. I read it and reread it, went back through my notes, prayed in the office, walking back and forth, looked at it. I said it enough until I allowed it to sink in. Sometimes you got to do that, right? Not because I was trying to make it true, because it is true, but we forget it. It is true, but this is what it says. It says this, inspiration will never get you as close to God as desperation. I'll say it again for us. Inspiration will never get you as close to God as desperation. We can be inspired by the best sermons. We can be encouraged by the greatest books. We can have all that together. But, but there's something about those seasons of life when you realize there isn't anywhere else I can turn right now. The only hope I've got is coming to that throne of grace in this point of need. That's the only hope I got. I don't know how it's all going to turn out. I don't know how this is all going to end. But this is the only hope I got. I'm coming to approach the throne of grace because right now I need him. I need him. I need him. Praise won't get you as close to God as desperation. Promise won't get you as close to God as desperation. Worship won't get you as close to God as desperation. Grace won't. All those things are necessary. They're all important, but there's something about it. When you are absolutely, desperately in need. Someone say need of God. It's Valentine's Day. I love. You know what love is? Attraction. Attraction brings us together. Attraction. Attraction is that person that catches our eye back in those dating days. That's attraction. Let me tell you what happens. When things start to shift is when you realize, I don't just want this person to be a part of my life. 
I need this person to be a part of my life. Yeah, that's okay. Go ahead and clap. We're actually allowed to clap. Somebody clap. Yeah, that's it. See, someone's getting the picture. Love is that realization of need. Can I tell you, there isn't anybody that loves you more than God. Can I tell you that you don't need anything like you need him this morning? I need him today. I need him today. There's all kinds of instances through the word and we won't take time to go through them all. But it was Elisha that was brought to the, his attention about a woman, one of his prophets. Her husband had died and the Bible tells us that the creditor was coming to take her two sons to be bondmen. She had nothing else. She had nowhere else to turn. And Elisha said, what shall I do for me? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, you know, this is, this is, this is a picture of you. This is a picture of me. What does she say? She doesn't tell him about everything she doesn't have. She says, well, this is what I've got. How often do we do that? We, we look around and we are barren. We're empty. There isn't anybody needier than us. And all of a sudden we're saying, well, you know, this is, this, I got this. We're always trying to bring what we've got. God's not attracted to what we've got. God's attracted to what we don't have. So Elisha, he knows the heart of God. He says, you know what? You're still talking about what you have. Let's fill your house with everything that you don't have. Let's go find vessels that are empty because we're going to fill the room full of emptiness. We're going to fill the room. We're going to fill the house full of everything that's empty because if there's anything that I know about God, God will come to the point of your need. God will show up in the point of your emptiness. God, God's looking this morning. He's not looking for all of us that have it all together. God's looking for somebody that's willing to say God I'm empty this morning God I don't have it all together God I'm so barren and the scripture says that they shut the door and they began to pour the oil in and the oil never stayed until the emptiness was gone God wants to pour in this room in our overflow building God wants to pour in your home this morning until the empty is full God just wants to keep bringing it but he can't as long as we don't have anything empty in the room I'm not mad. I'm reminding us, God can only work with our emptiness this morning. Emptiness. Emptiness attracts the heart of God. Think with me through scripture. We'll move quick. We'll move quick because God wants to work in somebody's heart this morning. God stopped for Zacchaeus when he was climbed up in a tree crowd full of people but it was that one empty heart that God said that's where I need to be today I'm coming with you Zacchaeus it was Jericho that had Bartimaeus as its beggar by the highway side there he was day after day day after day day after day empty cup empty life empty future until until Jesus came Jesus, thou son of David. We sang about it just a moment ago. Shout Jesus from the mountain. Anybody shouted his name lately? Anybody cried out for a moment, said, Jesus, I 
need you. It was Jesus that when he heard that cry, verse 49 says, he stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth to thee. And Bartimaeus doesn't make the mistake that we often do. As a matter of fact, it says that he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. He came with absolutely nothing. He came with his emptiness. He came with his barrenness. He came not just with his blindness, but he, he came empty. And it's interesting. We know that because the Bible says in verse 52, after he received his sight, Jesus said, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Not healed. Thy faith hath made thee seeing. Thy faith, no, he said, thy faith hath made thee whole. Why? Because Jesus recognized the emptiness in Bartimaeus and said, I'm not just going to heal your blindness. I'm going to fill your barrenness. The Greek word is hapas from as a particle of a union, what had always been missing was now connected. Absolutely all or every one, all things together, whole. Someone say whole. God doesn't intend for us to leave the room partially finished today. God doesn't mean for us to leave just halfway there. God intends for us to leave full, but he can't fill us if we keep our cloak about us. We've got our half-filled cup of coins in our hand. God can't work with that. God can only work when you leave your bed behind, you leave your cloak behind, you leave your cup behind, and you come and say, I, I just need you to make me whole this morning. I don't have anything, God. Whatever I've got is nothing in your sight. I just need you today. If you'd stand together with me. So over and over and over again in scripture, it's blind Bartimaeus. It's, it's the woman with the issue of blood. What did the Bible say? She had spent all. Someone say all. That meant she had nothing left, but that was, the, that was why she pressed her way through the crowd. That's why Jesus, he felt virtue flow. Why? How could virtue flow? Virtue could flow. It's like, it's like water. It flows down. It couldn't flow into something that was full. Virtue had to flow into something that was empty. Virtue had to flow into the one that had wasted everything on everyone else. Virtue flowed into the one that realized, I don't have anything to offer. All I've got is this empty barrenness. All I've got is this emptiness so Jesus filled the emptiness with himself it flows the woman with the issue of blood had nothing left so he knew she needed him the woman caught in the act of adultery no hope left the law condemned she was supposed to die and the Pharisees thought that Jesus would only see her sin but do you know what he saw he saw her need God, God is attracted to need. I could go on drunk Hannah in the Old Testament, scripture after scripture, instance after instance, but can we just kind of sum it up this morning? Could we just realize that God sees us as needy people and that's okay? Can we just realize that it's okay that we have that hole? Can we realize that, that emptiness, that God wants to fill it? Could we realize that, that God's not repelled by that, but the reason that God showed up in the room this morning and his spirit began to move and begin to hover over all of our lives is because he sees the need 
that we have for him this morning. I wonder if someone would just lift your hands for a moment. I need thee, Jesus. I need you this morning, God. God, in the midst of all of everything we've got pulled together, I wish someone would just pull the curtain back for a moment and say, God, there's this brokenness in my life. There's this pain in my life. There's this hurt in my life. And, and God, if I don't get that filled, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to lose out. I'm going to... God, I'm going to walk the wrong way, so I need you to touch me this morning. I wonder if someone would just let God know you need him today. However that sounds, whatever that looks like, however that may appear, it doesn't matter to your neighbor. It doesn't matter who's with you right. I wish someone would just let God know, however you do that, however, it may be just a cry, a deep-seated cry from your heart, but he hears it this morning. I wish someone would just let God know that you need him today. I need you, Jesus. I need you this morning, God. I need you more than what they're advertising on the billboards around town. I need you more. I need you more than what the magazines would be promoting, right? I need you more than a new car. I need you more than a new child. I need you more than finance. I need you more than, than friends. I need you more than popular. I need you this morning, God. I just need you this morning. If you'll allow God to sense your need today, that doesn't repel him. It attracts him. Could it be that as we sit here this morning, we're in one of the greatest problems that our world has known. It's come upon us. But could it be that the silver lining in COVID-19 is that we have to finally acknowledge that we can't do this on our own? Could it be that after Operation Warp Speed brings the hope to humanity, we're struck down with the realization that there's variants and variations and we can't even keep up with what's happening in the world. So our hope in humanity may be shot down, but could I just remind us today that our hope in God can rise to a brand new level because where there is great need, there is a great God. That's the way this has been from the very beginning. That's how this whole thing got started. And here we are in 2021 and God's not repelled. God's not put off. God's not confused. God says, I've just been waiting for people to realize I'm what they need this morning. The bad news is our world needs a huge solution. The good news is that our God is attracted to great need today. That's the way it is on the surface. That's the way it is in this service. I don't know what the need is in your life. I don't know how, how much of a blanket it takes to cover up the problem. I don't know how big your cloak is, but I wish you just like Bartimaeus did, throw it on the ground and stand before God and say, God, this morning, this is what you got. God, this is me. This is me. I'm, I'm not hiding. I'm not putting a front on. I'm not trying to compare myself. This is just who I am. God, would you meet me this morning at the point of my need today? Praying together with me. Thank you for joining with us online, but we, we make this moment a reverent moment. Could we just make an altar wherever we are? Would we just pause and let the presence of God move? freely right now. Jesus, 
Uh, we need the Holy Ghost to help us right now. I don't use that word lightly, God. I use it absolutely. Specifically, we need the Holy Ghost to help us this morning. We need the Holy Ghost to flow and to fill. God, we need healing to come. We need deliverance to come. There are people in the room right now when they're praying prayers because they don't know where else to turn right now, but they have your attention, God. They've got your ear. They've got your eye. They've got your hand to work. I pray, Father, would you minister right now? God, we could call their names right now. We won't, but Jesus, you know exactly where they are. I pray that you would minister. God, we're reaching past the veil. We, God, we long ago gave up on the idea we've got it together. We're just reaching beyond the crowd. We're pressing, God, to the beyond the veil. We're pressing in to get a hold of the hem of your garment this morning. I ask that your virtue would flow. God, let it flow in our other building this morning. Let it flow in this room. God, let it flow into every home. Let it flow into, God, somebody's car right now wherever they are i pray that your virtue would begin to flow god break us so you can bless us move on us so you can minister to us today i pray